As the demand for telemedicine grows, so does the need for connectivity. 5G meets that need. Qualcomm remains focused on giving doctors and patients superior, security-rich 5G connectivity. Learn more at qualcomm.com slash inventionage. business leaders, you know, because leadership in business today is everything. Bad leadership, the company goes. You know, great leadership, the company grows. Also, we were talking about cars. If you're a car guy and you love, I mean, who doesn't love cars? I know some people don't, but I absolutely love, love cars. We're also going to be talking about Uber, what's happening with them, the future of cars, and also Tesla, Tesla with Elon Musk, a great entrepreneur. So it's a very important show because it's about leadership, business, um, cars, and the future of transportation. Any comments, Kim? Well, I'm very excited because this guy is hands-on. He's He's been at this for a long time. And, you know, he, it, it, he has a book out called Car Guys Versus Bean Counters. And I love that because it reminds me of my dad because my dad was the sales guy. He was the guy in the streets. He was the guy in the trenches, and he went head-to-head with the accounting bean counters who only looked at the numbers, not the people, not the product. So I'm excited. We're going to learn a lot about leadership. We're going to learn a lot about what it takes to be a success success in business, and we got the guy to do it. But also, somebody is not politically correct, he'll speak out. So those of you who just hang on, because you'll be hearing some things you'll never hear on, let's say... (laughs) Anyway, other shows. <laughs> so our guest today is the infamous Bob Lutz. He's a former vice chairman of GM, and he serves as a Marine jet pilot. And Bob Lutz is an icon. When you see him, you know who you're looking at. You know, I, I put you up there, Bob, with uh, your, your friend Lee Iacocca, because Lee Iacocca was a spokesperson for the industry, you know, during my time. And you're that spokesperson today, especially the big transition. And there's another saying that I think that Bob has can talk to us about. There's an old saying that goes something like, as goes GM, so goes America. As goes GM, so goes America. So, you guys, pay attention, listen up. Even if you don't like cars, I don't know who that would be. But you're going to learn about not only about cars, leadership, Uber, Tesla, but what's going on with America. So welcome to the program, Bob. Oh, thanks. Good to be with you. And then I have to say this, you know, Semper Fi and uh, your former Marine pilot. Let's and talk. So are you, and that makes us part of the fraternity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, there was a, some, something somebody said about you, is that you have the compassion of a Marine drill, inst- drill instructor or something. <laughs> that's, that's a high compliment. Yeah. <laughs> so one question is, how did the Marine Corps help you in business? Well, I, I think... Uh, Marine Corps training is uh, absolutely the best leadership school in the world. I agree. Because the first thing you learn is uh, to obey orders. That's that's the minimum. You learn to respect authority, and you learn to obey without question. And then later in the leadership uh, training, uh, they also teach you self-expression, how to formulate an opinion, how to motivate how to motivate people at different times uh, using all of the tools in the leadership bag of tricks, including uh, fear and intimidation when that <laughs> leadership style is called for, positive motivation, 
uh, you know, the college coach, rah, rah, we can do this team is, is, is sometimes applicable. And, of course, there's the ethical foundation uh, where the, the Marine Corps provides a bulletproof and inviolable code of ethics for, for those people like myself who are not overly religious. But it's certainly the Marine Corps leaves you with a set of values. If you follow them through your life, uh, you're going to be a good and successful person. And it transfers, doesn't it? You carry it out when you leave the Marine Corps. It goes with you, doesn't it? It becomes part oh, of you. absolutely. And almost throughout my, throughout my career, I always identified as a Marine officer. And I, I kind of felt like I was on temporary additional duty to the <laughs> civilian world. <laughs> So let me let me ask you, Bob, with your Marine training and the ethos and all, when you went into the corporate world, did you face obstacles from people that weren't of that mindset? I, I will I will tell you, the degree of uh, leadership skills that I found in the civilian world, by and large, was deplorable. I mean, uh, the people in business school, they learn techniques, they learn how to analyze spreadsheets. Uh, they know how to do compu- complicated, uh, discounted cash flow analyses, etc. They're very smart. They learn all the financial techniques, and nobody ever gives them the basic tenets of leadership. And y- you see some absolutely horrible leadership styles that are, uh, in fact, destructive. I was talking to a, uh, a friend last night who was a senior executive and in a, a large automotive company, and he was telling me about his CEO who uh, uses meetings to berate and diminish and ends meetings with phrases like, this is the worst team ever assembled on the planet. Wow. I don't know how I got saddled with a bunch of idiots like you. I mean, this is... That's supposed to motivate them and, en- and encourage them? <laughs> exactly right. I mean, everybody just silently shakes their heads and and rolls their eyes and and waits until it's over. Some of these highly paid CEOs uh, have a totally wacky and counterproductive side, and you very you very rarely run into the combination of someone who is technically competent, knows the business, and at the same time possesses the necessary leadership skills to run a successful organization. One example, I never worked for him, but I know him very well, a former Marine officer and pilot, Fred Smith, who founded and runs Federal Phoenix, Express. Right. I would, uh, I mean, Fred applies, uh, he actually published an article uh, that went, uh, leadership I learned in the Marine Corps is applied daily at FedEx. And I, I'm sure that's absolutely true. But there's a deplorable absence of, of actual leadership and actual what we call leadership as opposed to management in the civilian world. That's a great distinction. There's Very a good distinction. Big difference. Very good distinction. So uh, going back to that question, as goes GM or uh, so goes America, you have any comments on that comment? Uh, on that was uh, a long time ago. That, well, that, was, that phrase was uttered by a, a, a GM chairman and it was often misquoted. What he actually said was, and I'm not sure I have it exactly right, but what he actually said was, uh, what's good for the United States is also good for General Motors, meaning to say that General Motors can't really do any better than the United States as a whole. But it, it was 
it was twisted into an arrogant statement to make it sound like uh, General Motors, you know, was sort of the, the bellwether for the U.S. So, what do you think about that bailout in 2008? I believe was that a, was that well, a good thing? Well, it, it was necessary because uh, General Motors employs about a hundred thousand people in the U.S. hourly and salaried, a little less than that now. Uh, but there's also all the GM dealers. Then you've got all the whole supply base. Letting General Motors go under was out of the question. And the U.S. government bears heavy responsibility. And this this Democratic administrations and Republican administrations had decades of misguided regulation, uh, which all, which basically handed the market to the imports to the detriment of the U.S. companies. And, you know, but nobody listened. It was well, you just. My baby's just going to have to deal with it, and we dealt with it for as long as we could. But when that sharp recession hit in uh, 07 and 08, um, nobody had enough cash. Well, Ford had enough cash reserves to squeak by, but General Motors and Chrysler didn't. So, uh, as, as you know, the, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. In this case, uh, he, the government took away, took away, took away, took away for decades, and then finally the big catastrophe happened, and then I will say they, you know, they stepped up to the plate. But I didn't think we were getting something for nothing. I, I, I felt, well, we warned you for decades. It finally happened. Okay. Once again, Robert Kiyosaki, the Rich Dad Radio Show. This is a fantastic program. We're talking on a very big subject here, you know, leadership, cars, the economy, and the future. So stay tuned, because... We want to keep talking to Bob Lutz. He's a former vice chairman of GM, author of Icons and Idiots, Car Guys, and Being Counters. So to answer the, ask the question again, so how is America doing from your vantage point? Well, obviously, um, we could spend more than the whole program talking. <laughs> no, you've got two minutes. That's situation, so we'll stay away from that. Uh, I, I'm obviously worried about an economy that's propped up by essentially zero interest rates. I mean, the LIBOR rate is now 0.3%. That's very close to zero. And uh, the economy never really has taken off. Uh, the government is, is, is into heavy deficit spending. Uh, some say this will inevitably cause mass inflation. I'm not, I'm not quite sure about that. But um, all in all, it's a precarious situation that I think has, has everybody a little bit worried. Having said that, you know, so far so good. And uh, a lot of the doomsayers have been proven wrong. People have been projecting the big collapse for the last five, six, seven years, and it hasn't happened. And the global financial system is now sophisticated enough and um, all-encompassing and global enough to be able to avert any big catastrophe, then other times, other times I'm not quite as sanguine. You'll see a whole new world from this great guest we have today. His name is Bob Lutz, former vice chairman of GM, served as a marine pilot, which I like. He's uh, held positions in management at GM, BMW, Ford, and Chrysler. Author of the books, Icons and Idiots, Straight Talk on Leadership. Please get that book. Car Guys and Bean Counters, another great title, because there's always a battle between the marketing guys and the bean counters. And Guts, Eight Laws of Business. So 
We're going to talk into Bob Lutz right now. We're going to go into the future. We're going to look into the past, what's going on today, but we're going to find out what he sees for the future. What does this crystal ball say? So, Bob, what is going on in the future? What do you think? What's, how is this electric car thing going to pan out? What's happening today? What's happening is we're seeing a transition away from the automobile to uh, essentially fully autonomous, controlless uh, modules that will be standardized and that you call up to your house, it shows up, you get in, you put in the destination, probably by voice, uh, the module takes you to the freeway, which will have, um, at some point, inductive cables so that uh, you're, you're recharging as you go. Uh, and your module will be inserted into a flow of similar modules that are perhaps traveling at 200 miles an hour. Uh, when you hit your freeway exit, your module will separate and will go into deceleration lanes. Uh, it will pass the exit point, and you'll be billed for the miles traveled. It'll take you to your ultimate destination. You get out and basically send it away. And uh, this is, you know, I used to say 20, 25 years away. Now I'm sort of saying 15 years away. And uh, we're seeing that the beginning of it is really Uber and Lyft, uh, the sort of call call up the driver uh, services and what they really are is the future autonomous car mod model, except at this point they're still being driven by humans. But the next phase, and it's already um, Singapore already has the first driverless taxis. Uh, it's coming in all U.S. cities. Uh, General Motors is preparing Lyft to have uh, a fully autonomous uh, electric Chevrolet Bolts. That's probably a year, year and a half away. So unfortunately, this is the decline and end of the automobile as we know it. And you won't care. When, when this module shows up at your house, you, it's, it's gonna, they're all going to have the same shape. They're all going to have the same performance because it'll be autonomously, uh, autonomous, autonomously dictated. So you don't care whether your module is made by BMW or Chevrolet or Ford any more than you care uh, who made the railway car when you're riding in a train. It's, it's just there. Brand distinction will go away, and maybe some companies will continue to exist producing modules, you know, just like there's the U.S. Freight Car Corporation and so forth, but uh, from a psychological standpoint, it's just not going to matter any. A social and psychological standpoint, it's just not going to matter anymore. So, so what's going to happen to the Uber drivers? Oh, well, un unfortunately, they're going to go back where they were before, which is back to their day jobs. <laughs> and, and what about us who love, who love driving? I mean, I okay. love driving my car. Well, I, I don't want to There, there is help. Uh, help is being created as we speak with all of these uh, private country clubs. There's um, Michigan Concourse, which is... Uh, on a terrain about uh, 20 miles north of Detroit, there's a uh, racetrack and all kinds of facilities for car guys to keep their cars at the track in a garage. You can even um, build little spec houses so that you could spend the whole weekend there. There's several in California. There's uh, uh, Autobahn in Joliet, Illinois, where all the people from Chicago go to. There's Monticello in New York. So. The people that can afford it will have their 
cars that they can drive at these private uh, b- private clubs. So, Bob, but it's, it, it's almost like the horse then, right? You exactly. Know. It's the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the analogy I use. You know, there used to be a whole cult around the horse. There were horse guys, people who had multiple horses. They had a fast horse for weekends. They had a dray horse to uh, schlep the buggy around, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but around the turn of the 19th or 19th to the 20th century, uh, the horse disappeared. And uh, but it it leads a very comfortable and profitable existence on private property, dude ranches, horse horse ranches, riding stables, et cetera, et cetera. So the horse is alive and well. It's just not on the public roads anymore. That's so, a very good point. And so then, what what's going to happen to the the GMs and the Fords and what's going to happen to those companies? I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, they could probably make the trans. Somebody's got to produce the modules. Right. And the automobile companies are obviously the logical people uh, to produce those. But the problem is where car companies make the money is not on commodity cars like, you know, basic Fords and Chevrolets. The money is made on stuff like full-size pickup trucks, full-size sport utilities, uh, brand vehicles like Range Rover, Mercedes-Benz, BMW, where the cost to produce the car is the same as everybody else's, but you get a multi-thousand-dollar brand premium because people want the psychological gratification of driving something with an upmarket label. And all of that's going to go away. So uh, what's going to happen to the car dealers and sales guys and all those car lots? And It's basically the same thing that happened to the big, to the big used horse lots and <laughs> new horse providers and uh, buggy whip manufacturers and everything. It's just all going to transition and, away. And what's your time frame you're, you're saying for this? Well, as I say, I used to say 25 years. Now I think we're looking at more like 15. Wow. And wow. it'll be a gradual transition. You know, for a while there will be blended traffic of driver cars intermingled with driverless cars. But that's not going to last very long because uh, the feds and the states are going to figure out that the accident rate among driverless cars is far less than cars being driven and that the only accidents involving autonomous cars are when they're being run into by cars with drivers. <laughs> and and, and yeah. when that happens, you know, there will be irresistible pressure to get driver cars off the roads. Wow. 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 So let's go into the uh, one more guy right now is this guy, uh, Elon Musk. He's a, he's a genius as far as an entrepreneur. But you call Tesla basically a cult company, not a car company or something like that? The problem with Elon Musk's business is that it's a horrific money loser. And if it weren't for government subsidies and $1.3 billion transfer and tax, 25-year tax holiday from the state of Nevada, et cetera, et cetera, uh, and constant recourse to the capital markets, um, Tesla would be broke five times over years ago. But Elon Musk is a, a captivating personality. Uh, he has a cult following. Uh, I, don't, I don't even call the people who buy his cars, they're not even customers, they're followers. <laughs> And, and and I people I, I criticize Tesla a lot, not because of the cars and not because of Elon Musk, who who is a fascinating and bright individual, and I know him and I like him, but 
it's, I criticize Tesla because it's a lousy business. Mm. And it, you cannot, over time, run a business year in, year out, hemorrhaging cash, operating without profit, and constantly saying, yeah, I know, that, was, that wasn't too good, but wait till next year, or wait till next quarter, or we're going to double production, or the reason we're losing money is we're gearing up for the big 500,000 units. And every time he says something like that, the stock should go down, and the followers all say, oh, oh this is unbelievable. <laughs> Elon Musk is saving the planet, and they buy more stock, and the stock keeps coming up. I mean, it keeps going up. It is totally, totally irrational, and at some point it's going to come to a bitter end. Once again, it's Robert Kiyosaki of the Rich Jerry Radio Show, our great guest today. I mean, fantastic guest. Could talk to him for hours. Bob Lutz, former vice chairman of GM, Swiss American. He's a marine pilot, and he held top management positions at GM, BMW, Ford, Chrysler. He's author of Icons and Idiots. Please read that book. Uh, Car Guys and Bean Counters, and Guts, Eight Laws of Business. So before we go to break, let me ask this question, okay, because... Uh, Kim and I were just out in Sonoma Valley with all the uh, yuppies and puppies and all that stuff, and the the guys that all have a little finger up drinking wine. And there are a lot of Teslas. I mean, it's really hip. It's cool. I mean, instead of a parking lot, they have Tesla stations. The question is, something twists in my stomach. So I would ask you, would you buy a Tesla? Would I buy one? I mean, um, is, does it? Yeah, I'd buy, I'd buy one for the car. Um, and, and as long as the company lasts and, uh, you know, as long as there's plenty of recharging stations. But it's exactly as you said, though. It's a cult. And either it hits you in the gut or it doesn't. What you say? Yeah, true? well, Elon Musk currently um, has attained the same status that Steve Jobs did. Right. Apple. Yes, yes. Uh, but the, the problem is Steve Jobs ran a company that was not only innovative, it not only did great products, but it generated enormous amounts of cash and was hugely profitable. And that's the part that Elon hasn't figured out yet. And Wall Street hasn't figured it out. So once again, we're talking to Bob Lutz, former chairman of GM's great, great program. For all of you interested in leadership and cars and Uber and Tesla and the future and Elon Musk, we'll be right back and we're getting more into electric cars kill gas car. But, you know, I really want to get back into what what I really want to talk to you about is, you know, we're old guys, but cars were really sexy. You know what I mean? The Camaro, the Corvette, they were sexy cars. I remember the Chevelle SS 396, 1969. I got stimulated looking at those cars. But, Robert, those were terrible cars. Oh, I know, but they sure, (laughs) but they they were sexy, Bob. They were sexy. Well, they were sexy because that's what you admired when you were young. (laughs) Well, they're you know, still selling. Well, but there's plenty of sexy stuff out there now. Oh, okay. Yeah, there is. Yes, there is. Really outstanding Ford Mustangs. Well, I, I, right. I, no, I agree with you, but they're you, retro. You can you buy a, a, I, a, a Focus SVO, which is, I think, around 300 horsepower, yeah. uh, a, a pocket rocket. Uh, you can get all kinds of hot Camaros. There's, I, I, I think yeah, yeah. The, the new Corvette is probably one of the sexiest cars on the road today. I, nice. I agree. I so agree 100%. I, I don't buy this argument, uh, but uh, they're used to... And remember, back from those days, all we remember is the Chevy 409s and the uh, the, the old Oldsmobile uh, 442s and yeah, the GTOs. Yeah. 
But, but those were also the exceptions in a sea of look-alike boring sedans. <laughs> that's right. Well, that's, that's I hate right. to tell you this, that's but right. that's how I see the world. Every time I see a Prius, I don't get turned down. So our guest today is Bob Luntz, former vice chairman of GM, served as marine pilot, held management positions at GM, BMW, Ford, Chrysler. And his books are Icons and Idiots. Please get that, especially if you're an idiot. Car Guys and Bean Counters, and Guts, Eight Laws of Business. So, Kim, you have some comments for Bob? I do, I do. And I also want to say um, that Bob also has a, a, a current business called VLF, which is a new another car company, and uh, we, you can find out more about that VLF. It's uh, He's got a car coming out called Destino, which and that is, is sexy. very sexy. That is sexy, yes. sexy, sexy, so, sexy. So here's my question, Bob. You wrote a fabulous book called Icons and Idiots, Straight Talk on Leadership, and your whole your whole expertise is on leadership. So who are the icons you've worked with, and who are the idiots you worked with, and why? Well, uh, the, the title is provocative, and it uh, started out being uh, the working title for the book. And I said, look, it's, it's too extreme because there, there's probably only one real idiot in that book. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the publisher said, no, 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 let's not do something like uh, success and failure. Uh, it all depends on leadership style or anything bland like that. They liked Icons and Idiots because it was short and punchy. Yeah. So, uh, it, in a way, the title is a little bit misleading because if you look at the examples of uh, leaders I worked with, starting from a high school teacher in Switzerland who I thought was absolutely wasted uh, as, a, as a high school teacher, um, 20 years later he was president of Switzerland, so I was, oh. I was right about him. <laughs> um, and uh, through my drill instructor in the Marine Corps and then various um, CEOs I've worked for during in, in my career. And what I try to point out is most successful leaders in private industry are in some ways deeply flawed. I mean, I, I, just, <laughs> I kept little notes throughout my career. And um, I worked for some people who were really, truly weird. And <laughs> you ask yourself, when you're working for him, he's like, how did this guy ever work his way up into a position like this? <laughs> and the answer is, in, in a relative sense, um, he was successful. And at the end of the day, you have to say, well, okay, the iconic side of his personality outweighed uh, the idiotic side of his personality. And I would say, you know, frankly, we were just talking about Tesla and Elon Musk. I have never worked for Elon, but I know people who have, and I think he would make a perfect a perfect subject for another chapter in uh, Icons and Idiots because uh, he has his extremely weak and negative sides. And you know, most leaders, most really famous leaders, do. Uh, that that was really the, the the tenet of the book. And of course, what I did was in the book was to show. Uh, positive and, and negative leadership traits and hope that the reader would uh, draw inspiration from the positives and, and less from the negatives. So was there was there one you would say was like the best that you worked well, with? Well, yeah, there, there's one guy who wound up doing uh, 10 years in a federal penitentiary. He was the former CEO of the Exide Corporation, and he not only exhibited deplorable leadership style in every imaginable sense, ruled the company entirely by fear and intimidation, bribed customers, bribed, took bribes from suppliers, 
I mean, this was just an all-around bad guy. And other than the fact that he was charming, uh, there was uh, there was really nothing positive to say about him. The name is a uh, name is Art Hawkins. Ah. Now we now we got to read this book, you know, because and and but, <laughs> and I got to ask too, because uh, what about what do you think of Lee Iacocca as a leader? Well, uh, uh, he was one of the examples in Icons and Idiots, and once again, he was. Uh, he had incredible positive sides. He was when he wanted to be. He was a brilliant motivator. Uh, he was a visionary. He could see the big picture. Uh, he was bold. Uh, he recognized opportunity and seized it. I mean, he was. He would have made a fabulous battlefield uh, commander. But on the other hand, he had his off moments. Uh, uh, he was vain. He was. He was insecure. He didn't. He didn't take criticism well at all. Uh, he, he, uh, he, 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 people that he felt had crossed him or hadn't shown the proper respect. Uh, he bore grudges and some wound up getting back at him. So he was a, a bundle of mixed human emotions. But everybody who has, has seen Iacocca on television thinks, "Wow, what a supremely self-confident person." But in truth, he wasn't. Um, when he was in a room full of people that he didn't know, uh, he was very shy, uh, very insecure. He always needed his his entourage of public relations people who would bring people up to him and say, Lee, I want you to meet Mr. So-and-so. Uh, he was incapable of just getting in with the crowd and mingling on his own. So... He was loaded with contradictions, but still, still, I say, looking back at all the people I've worked for, uh, the most successful leader that I've ever worked for. Was there any leader without a flaw? Well, uh, in my book, the later president of Switzerland, who was my high school teacher, and who was also, um, at the time, a lieutenant colonel in the Swiss Army, I never, well, he had a a corrosive sense of humor and uh, <laughs> at times when somebody submitted a really bad paper he would have a 10 minute field day ridiculing <laughs> ridiculing the writer and sometimes in a somewhat cruel way i mean i i saw students standing up behind their desk uh absorbing the ridicule and and with with tears in their eyes oh. so that so he had his weaknesses too but i'm as, as far as I'm concerned, I, I, he's, of course, passed away now. He was considerably older than I was. But um, he was a fabulous guy. My drill instructor in the Marine Corps, other than the, the type of uh, physical punishment that was meted out, which would no longer be permitted today, um, I never detected a flaw in him. I'm sure he had some, because I, otherwise he would have been more than a staff sergeant. But, no, I think um, the, the, the stronger and the more successful the leader, uh, the more the positive sides are in some way compensated by um, psychological insecurities or weird traits. So do you have any um, advice for our listeners on how to become a better leader? Because we're all leaders in some way, either our families or on the street or Or in business. In we business. have a lot of... A lot of uh, a lot of business owners that are listening to our program as well. Well, I would say just practice honesty, integrity, communicate well, 
try to avoid when when you're when you're leading your company try to avoid um, being overly dictatorial uh, I mean you can get your way but you're far better off if you take the time and spend the effort to get your your closest teammates around you explain your reasoning explain the reasons why you tend to favor one decision over another listen to the people who disagree with you argue with them if you have to use humor when you're arguing i think uh humor makes a lot of um opposing opinions and criticism go down a lot easier in the in the final analysis you're the boss it's your money it's your company you can always say well look Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot for the input, but you know, basically, I, I still, I still want to do it my way, and I'd appreciate you guys getting behind it. That works a lot better than just walking in the room and saying, "All right, we can make this meeting short. We're going to do it my way." Everybody, <laughs> what's wrong with that, Bob? <laughs> Once again, it's Robert Kiyosaki, the Rich Dad Radio Show. Our guest today is Bob Luntz, former chairman of G- vice chairman of GM. And he's held top management positions at GM, BMW, Ford, Chrysler. And his books are Icons and Idiots, Car Guys versus Bean Counters, and Guts, Eight Laws of Business. So one of the things I heard when Car Guys and all this is you make, you make your product sexy. And then we, you had this product, not was under your command, but a thing called the Aztec. It was the ugliest car. For those who haven't seen the Aztec, you know, go to the website and be brave and look at it. So how does that happen from sexy to the ugliest thing on planet Earth? Well, that was, that was when the bean counters were firmly in control of, of, of GM. And uh, General Motors as an organization at that time did not recognize that cars are not bought by rational people for <laughs> rational reasons. Good point. They're bought on an emotional basis. They're bought because a car is sexy or it's attractive, et cetera. Or the brand means something to where your friends will admire you for having bought such and such a brand. But it's a whole pack of psychological reasons. GM had discounted all of that because you can't measure it. You cannot put lust. You can't quantify lust. So every vehicle that GM did, with with the exception of pickup trucks and sport utilities, because that was a different group of people and they were like running their own company, but on the car side of the business, Everything was reduced to a set of attributes. And the feeling was if you got all the attributes of the car right, you know, package, fuel economy, weight, uh, acceleration, braking, et cetera, et cetera, if you got all that right, it was going to sell. <laughs> and it was ridiculous. And, and the ultimate example of that was the Pontiac Aztec, which uh, was an attribute-based vehicle. And some of the attributes, in fact, a vast majority of the attributes were the satisfaction of GM internal goals, like minimize tooling expense, maximize parts reuse from other cars, simplify manufacturing, less hits per stamping. So there was there was all this this multitude of internally focused goals which the Aztec all satisfied, um, and then. The people in charge of the Aztec program just resolutely refused to listen. Uh, It went out to consumer research several times, and each time the consumer research was devastating. And instead of accepting it and saying, gee, we're we're doing something wrong here, we better start over, they bravely told themselves, what do those idiots know? 
it was produced and became a laughing stock. And in a way, that was a good thing because I think it paved the way for my tenure as head of product development uh, when I, I, I just threw that whole attribute-based system out. Uh, I threw the whole structure of 35 different consumer needs-based segments out and I said, this whole needs-based stuff is just a bunch of baloney. What we've got to start talking about is lust and desire and image and projection of fun. And, and, uh, and that's when you know, we started turning the corner and producing highly desirable vehicles. You know that Cadillac was an old white guy's car. Remember that? Like yep. Kim's father always drove Cadillacs. And I swore I would never buy a Cadillac because Kim's dad drove a Cadillac. <laughs> but then you guys came out with those new models, and those are hot and sexy. Were you part of that change? From oh, that? absolutely. Oh, no, I, I, I was strongly behind uh, the performance push at Cadillac and the creation of the so-called V-Series. And now if you buy a V-Series Cadillac like a, an ATSV or a CTS, especially the CTSV, you have the, the world's highest performance four-door sedan in terms of not only straight-line performance acceleration, but also braking and ability to ne negotiate the Nürburgring just about faster than anything else on this planet. Right? But, uh, you know, the Cadillac brand is going to need more than um, V-series cars that appeal to performance addicts. Uh, so Cadillac, in terms of rehabilitation, is still a work in process. So, so Bob, you know, back to the Car Guys versus Bean Counter, your, your book, The Battle for the Soul of American Business and the Aztec, is that a product of these MBA programs? I mean, oh, yeah, are, they're mostly no, focusing was, on the finance, right? No, it was, well, it was, it was all finance and cost-driven. And everything was run by a bunch of intellectuals with some with IQs probably in the 170s who didn't understand the creative process because the creative process requires right-brain intelligence, whereas these guys were all superb left-brainers. And they thought that they could devise an intellectually-based quantitative system that would, if rigorously applied, would produce great vehicles. And, of course, it didn't. It produced mediocre vehicles that satisfied a bunch of numerical criteria. So there was no focus on product quality, customer well, service. Well, well, quality is a measurable thing. So yeah, uh, reliability. But but the quality thing was misunderstood too. The quality thing was totally focused on absence of things gone wrong, and getting rid of the things gone wrong is important. But you can have a car with zero things gone wrong. And it's low performance, uses a lot of fuel, is dead boring to drive, has numb steering, et cetera, et cetera, and nobody buys it. What you really need to focus on is things gone right. And if people are delighted with a car, they'll forgive it certain flaws. It's, it's a lot like an income, and, uh, an income statement. You've got things gone right are your revenue. Things gone wrong are your costs. And you try to keep the gap between the two as big as possible. Well, thank you. Thank you very, very much. It's fantastic. Uh, I'll listen to you forever. But also congratulations on all your success. And you know, Congratulations on your, uh, the, the uh, launch of Destino. When is, that, when is that coming out, your new car? It's, it's, it's dribbling out. Dribbling out. Okay. Yeah, it's Com dribbling out. We're not in a hurry. We want to make, 
we want to make sure it's right. We want to make sure we have some good dealers. I want to thank Bob Luntz, former vice chairman of GM. He was fantastic. I mean, I loved it. I learned a lot. It shook me in many areas. One of the big ahas or the really things that shook me was when he talked about the future of the electric car. And basically, as, as you said, Robert, the car is going the way of the horse and buggy. It's just like the horse. And the cars are, gas cars are going to disappear, according to Bob, and it's going to be taken over by driverless electronic electric cars. Um, it was, and he's talking 15 years. So that was, a, that was a, big, a big point. So Melissa, this is Ask Robert. What's the first question, please? Our first question today comes from Leslie in Cranston, Rhode Island. Favorite book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. We have a family business, and times are increasingly difficult, even though it has been successful for the past 15 years. I know I need to take care of my employees, but sometimes making ends meet is difficult. What's your opinion on using personal funds to supplement payroll? I'm glad you asked that question because anybody who's an entrepreneur really knows what that's like. Because, you know, I remember the days when I was an employee, and all of a sudden I became an employer, an entrepreneur, and suddenly... Being an employee was the easiest thing in the world. I couldn't believe how tough it was to be an entrepreneur. So that question is always a question on any, any entrepreneur's mind. How do you make payroll? And so that's why I love Bob Luntz's book, Car Guys and Bean Counters, because it's not right or wrong. You definitely need right now a bean counter to come into your business, a CPA, an accountant, or somebody, and look at your records. And you got to have a disinterested third party look at what's going on inside your business and find out what's happening. Then you can make a more logical decision than asking somebody like me who has no ideas what your books and numbers say. The second thing is that what he's talking about, what Lutz was talking about, is you have the salesperson versus the accountant. And there'll always be a battle in there. So a lot of times the reason the entrepreneur struggles is because their sales skills aren't up to power. They're out of the market. They're looking at the small picture. They don't know what's going on in the economy. So there's two things. It's not that, it's not that car guys and bean counters, one is right or wrong. You've got to have both. And what happens most of the time is the reason most people are employees because they can't sell. And sales becomes, you're going to be an entrepreneur, you have got to, got to sell. Not only sell, but market and PR. You're constantly selling because sales equals income. So you can look at your employees, but you should look at yourself as the entrepreneur. If you can't sell, maybe you should get out of business. You know, something like that. Be, be hard and cold and say, well, I don't want to close the business. Well, then learn to sell. Any comments, Kim? Well, I, I just remember the time when we had no money and, you know, we were buying property. And, and you had, we had to get, we had, a, we had a business at the time, and we had to get very, very creative because we had no money, um, which might be a better position for them to look at. What if you had no money instead of this personal cushion? It'll force you. It could force you to get more creative. And just as you're saying, Robert, to go out there and sell something, sell new products or something like that, it could force you to be more creative. So it might be better you don't even look at those personal funds and pretend as if you had nothing. No, I'd get, I would get professional advice right now because you're in trouble. You're in very big trouble if, if more money is going out than coming in. And that's really the thing. Don't, don't mess around with this one. You, you're going to be out of business anyway. The other thing, too, is you've got to step up your education in sales and marketing and all this. There's a very good book called Positioning by Trout and Reese. That's a primer. You've got to read that book, Positioning, Trout and Reese, because that is exactly what Bob Luntz does. He has car guys versus bean counter. That's a positioning statement. He has icons versus idiots. That is a positioning statement. That is a marketing guy speaking, not a bean counter. 
So if you're going to be the entrepreneur or the employer, you've got to step up your ability to sell. So I was talking with the book Positioning by Trout and Reese because if you can't sell, you suck. You have no money coming in. And then you're the problem, not the employees. Next question, Melissa. Our next question comes from Jeffrey in Missoula, Montana. Favorite book, Midas Touch. Says, I'm trying to build up my small business, which means I work long hours. My fiance works in the healthcare industry and rides my back because I don't have a nine to five job. How do I convince her that the path I'm on is the best one for our future and is more important than getting a nine to five job? That's a tough question That's because really you know question. one's one person's an employee and one's an entrepreneur, and the twain shall never meet. Less like car guys versus being kind of it's a classic struggle. So I would suggest the same thing. I would leave her alone and step up your act, man. I would get man up. I, I would really, really start to produce some results. You've got to step up your sales because sales equals income. People who cannot sell suck, but they, they get all upset that people who can sell. You know what I mean? Bean counters don't like sales guys. Is that true, Kim? That is true. <laughs> they do not. And my dad was a perfect example, and that's why he lost his job because the bean counter became president, and he didn't. The sales he was the sales guy, and he lost out to the bean counter. And that woman friend of yours is telling you something. Step it up, man. Man up. You and better start selling. Bring some income in and, and stop talking. You know because your communication skills have got to go up. You know talking is not selling. Telling is not selling. You know I come from the sales background. That's why I make so much money. But if you can't sell, you suck. That is the fact in the real world, sweetheart. And you know what? I would I'd also recommend Cash Flow Quadrant because it's the typical employee versus the mindset of an employee versus the mindset of an entrepreneur. That's what you're facing right now. And I'm going to say this: if your partner, if you're building a business and your partner is not on the same page, if you and your partner are not on the same page, you guys are going to struggle. It'll be a never-ending struggle, and chances of your success are going to be. Very low, probably zero. And she's just trying to tell you something. She's doing you a favor, man. She's doing you a favor. You have got to man up, step up your business skills. Number one business skill is sell. If you can't sell, you suck. Our, our Richard advisor, Blair Singer, he has his book called Sales Dogs. Please read that. You, right now, you have got to study communication because communication brings money in. Bad communication pushes money out. So like the other guy, I advise getting a bean counter to look at your numbers and your books, see where your, your expenses are eating you alive. And so let's say your numbers are $1,000 a month. You've got to sell 10000 a month, man. And that's why most small business guys fail, entrepreneurs fail, because they can't sell. Next question, Melissa. Our next question comes from Mark in Flagstaff, Arizona. Favorite book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Since I know the value and importance of having a strong mentor when starting out in business, but how do you know who to trust? Also, what's your opinion on hiring a life coach? You're asking me kind of ridiculous questions right now. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm being serious. Like, if you ask me, you know, how do I find the perfect wife or how do I find the perfect husband? Well, you gotta go out there and play the market, sweetheart. You gotta go kiss a lot of toes to find one frog. Then you kiss a thousand toes to find the fairy princess here. That's real life. That's called selling. That's called communication. You know, if you're so afraid of making a mistake, you shouldn't really be an entrepreneur. Because entrepreneurs make mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake. Employees get fired for making mistakes. So obviously, you can ask Kim, how many times did I ask you out? You asked me out for about six months. Yeah. She kept turning me down. Now, you don't have that, you know. Well, which, which is the perfect life coach? Well, how the heck should I know? 
you got to know, sweetheart. And you got to go out there and play the field, get into the marketplace, make some mistakes, you know, kiss a lot of frogs, kiss a lot of toads. Maybe you'll find the perfect person. So once again, I want to thank Bob Lutz. That was a fantastic horse. Got me all stirred up, you know, really, really stirred up. Because it is car guys versus bean counters. In every business, you'll have sales versus accounting. Everybody thinks, well, I'm a manufacturing, and everybody has their point of view. But at the end of the day, it comes down to, can you sell? If you cannot sell more than your expenses are, you're out of business. That's what he's saying about Tesla. 